the meditation is taken from a few verses in the first chapter of Lamentations. Hear the word of the Lord. How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become. She who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks among all her lovers that she has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They've become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. For these things I weep. My eyes flow with tears, for a comforter is far from me, one to revive my spirit. My children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. In the south of Poland, in the town known as Zakopane, there still sits a prison that was used by the Gestapo during World War II to process countless people through its walls and eventually taking them to the thousands of concentration camps during World War II under Nazi hegemony. On one of the walls, there is scrawled an inscription, an inscription by an 18-year-old girl then whose name was Helena Vanda Blazushakovna. She was arrested and taken there on the 25th of September 1944. How long was she there? We don't know. But while she was there and before she was taken away forever, she wrote two lines, her two last lines on the earth, one to her mother and one a prayer to the Virgin Mary. And in those lines, she wrote, O mamu, ni płaczne, ni abios przyszysta krylowa, ty zawsze spirajaj mnie. Which is translated as, No, mother, do not weep. Most chaste queen of heaven, support me always. It's the last we ever heard of her. How long before she left, no one knows. 30 years later, the Polish composer Henryk Gorecki heard of this inscription and traveled to Zakopane himself to see it firsthand. And there he noticed upon that wall were several other inscriptions from several other desperate people who had once inhabited that cell. And among those inscriptions, there were defiant words like murderers, executioners, and other more plaintive, desperate words like, I'm innocent, save me, free me. Goretzky was drawn to Helena's words because hers were different. There was something about them that captured his attention. And in time, he would later write this about her words. I have to admit that I have always been irritated by grand words, by calls for revenge. Perhaps in the face of death, I would shout out in this way. 
But this sentence I found is different. Almost an apology or explanation for having got herself into such trouble. She is seeking comfort and support in simple, short, but meaningful words. Those words had their own poignancy, but to Goretzky, there was something different. And the reason he marveled, because in that instant, in that instant, she reflected the sense that, yes, she was caught in forces beyond her control. But she was also in some measure culpable for the circumstances she found herself in. And for those poised, prayerful words, Henrik Goretzky let those words become the text of the second movement of the Symphony of Sorrowful Songs, which premiered three years later in 1977. Her words, words that reflected being caught, words that reflected being culpable. That was her story, and it was a story that he was glad to tell again. The tone and texture of her words really captures, really resonates with what you've just heard in the first chapter of Lamentations. If you are unfamiliar with the backstory of that moment, what had befallen the northern kingdom of Israel in the 8th century under the hand of the Assyrian Empire had now befallen the southern empire of Judah under the hand of Babylon in the 6th century. And now Jerusalem lay in ruin. And one lone voice sits within her broken walls and weeps. And for obvious reasons, we know why that voice would weep. But what is the true content of the context of that weeping? Why is he weeping? For one, because of Jerusalem's profound reversal of fortune. This grand, full of glory city that had attracted countless monarchs to come and witness its splendor that had commanded authority being set up on a hill. Now this land, this city was raised to the ground, its people taken and its glory depleted. If you've seen the footage of the drones over the city of Aleppo, Syria in recent months, that city of over two million people, which was first inhabited right around the season in which Jerusalem would have been raised to the ground by Babylon, that ancient city now lies in ruin. But you don't ever have to have been to Aleppo to see on the outlines of what remains, what grandeur used to exist in the confines of that place. And you understand why people weep. And you understand why this person in Jerusalem, whoever he or she was, wept because of the reversal of fortune. It was a reversal of fortune like a wife losing her husband, like a princess being made a slave. The reason for the weeping was because of a reversal of fortune, but the reason for the weeping also was because of a profound disorientation. Not only had the city been besieged and destroyed, everyone who was a part of it, all the brain trust of Israel, all the brain trust of Judah had been carried off to live in a land unfamiliar to them. This land which had been promised to them, this land which had been entrusted to Israel, this land which was to be a base of operations so that they might be a blessing unto all nations, that land was lost to them. And now they were in an unfamiliar location that was as unfamiliar as the people were hostile. And any promise of hope 
was no longer on the horizon. There was no Moses to come and lead them home. There was no David to come and lead them home. There was no city to which they might return. And so they were disconsolate at their dislocation. Brothers and sisters, how many refugees in this very metroplex feel that sort of dislocation and disorientation? Asking themselves on a daily basis, will anyone welcome me here? Will I survive here? Will I ever laugh again in this unfamiliar place? Their dislocation is real. And you know why it might almost daily end in tears, for it surely ended daily in tears for the people who once lived in Jerusalem, now living in Babylon. And on both those counts, you understand why Jerusalem might feel as Helena von der Blazerschakovna felt of being caught in the jaws of forces beyond their control. Babylon had them and would not soon let go. But there was another reason that compounded their weeping. And it wasn't because they were caught. When it said in verse 2, she weeps bitterly in the night. Among all her lovers, she has none to comfort her. That is the language of mourning, surely, but it is also the language of confession. Because Judah has come to the realization that they had entrusted themselves to the very ones who had now betrayed them. If you read in Isaiah 39, King of Judah, King Hezekiah, welcomes envoys from Babylon to come and look at all of Judah's holdings, all of her riches, all of her glories, all of her wonders. And then those envoys leave and Isaiah queries Hezekiah, what did you show them? And Hezekiah says, there was nothing I did not show them. And Isaiah at that moment portends unto Hezekiah, you know what's happening, right? You know what's coming, right? In time, they will carry all that away. And in time, your sons, when they are grown, will be carried away with it all. And Hezekiah shows the height of short-sightedness and obtuseness and saying to himself, well, at least that'll happen after I'm gone. The Babylon to which Judah had become beholden was now betraying them. And they knew it. Not only were they caught in the jaws of Babylon's grasp, not only was Helen of Vonda caught in the Nazi grasp, Judah knew in that moment it was culpable. Culpable for her actions. Why are we listening to this story? It's beautiful outside. You're all a bunch of friendly faces. We're about to have a nice meal together. There's flowers blooming. Why are we talking about this somber, sobering story? I'll tell you why, for two reasons. Because during Lamentations, that was not the only time at which someone wept over the fate of Jerusalem. When he entered into Jerusalem for his last time of his earthly ministry, Jesus himself said in Luke 19, would that you, even you, had known on the days the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side, at which he said only weeks earlier, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones, those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you are not willing. The Lord Jesus, 
before he enters into his own passion, would weep over the walls of Jerusalem. For what befell Jerusalem 600 years earlier would befall Jerusalem again. What Babylon did in the 6th century BC would now be undertaken by Rome in just a few short decades. That's one reason why we're listening to the story of Lamentations. But you realize, brothers and sisters, that Jesus' lament was not simply for the destruction of a city. Jesus' lament was for a principle that was deep-seated in the heart of those who inhabited it. Jesus' lament was for a principle deep-seated in the heart of those who would be in need of him. Jesus' lament was for a principle deep-seated in the heart of those for whom he would come and die. And that's the other reason, therefore, we're listening to this text. Because when the author of Hebrews says it was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame of that deplorable way of dying, if it was for joy that he endured the cross, then it was for our joy that he did so. And if it was for our joy, for our joy, that, that capacity to be able to, to take heart even when the city around you is crumbling, if it was for our joy that he endured that cross, then brothers and sisters, the only way to that joy is for you to understand his lament. This Sunday will be beautiful here. This Sunday will be beautiful in many places around here. The organ will play, you ladies wear well your funny hats, and they will sing Handel's Messiah quite probably but it will be one big flash in the pan in terms of the joy that you're meant to have unless you learn the lament that Jesus came to have for our sake. And what is the substance of his lament? That you and I are caught. Caught in the jaws of forces beyond our control. Caught in the jaws of forces that mean nothing for us but harm. Caught in the crossfire of a cosmic battle that we have no control over. We are caught. But brothers and sisters, we are also culpable. Lamentations is an ancient text, but it is not unfamiliar to our frame or our condition. Because every one of us, and every one of us in this room can at least point to moments, if not presently, in which we have entrusted ourselves to things that we thought would deliver us, but now only has betrayed us. Brothers and sisters, it's Holy Week. It's a time to remember, but it's also time to have deconstructed in your soul all those things that you thought would be your glory, but now are only your ruin. There are things that you are doing in the darkness that must come forward into the light. And Jesus is asking us to see him weeping and to, in that weeping to hear his warning, but moreover to hear in his tears his love. For it was a poet of our day named Christian Wyman who said at the end of a poem about the lament of death, he said these words, praise to the light that is not yet, the dawn in which one bird believes crying not as if there had been no night, but as if there were no night in which it had not been. Brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus is that one bird crying in the night, maybe the one who best believes, maybe the one who only believes, but he is the one who believes in such a way to tell us that our laments are in fact real lament. 
but also to tell us whatever your lament might be, he is glad to dwell in the lament with you. That is your path to joy. And it is through his lament. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.